0: Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we did have a great time last week uh, praying for you all. Uh, do lift up the Carranza family as the Lord brings them to mind. Uh, they were here for about 30 hours last week praying for you all, so it would be uh, uh, great to pray for them, Palms Bible Fellowship there in uh, uh, Phoenix, uh, So, as the Lord leads. Go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, last time I spoke uh, we touched on some of the covenants that God has made with man, and this morning we're going to be looking at the Davidic covenant uh, a little bit differently than we have in the past. I tend to try to pick a passage and then just work through the passage. Uh, We're going to be going through a number of passages uh, today just to kind of show how God has given a covenant and then it narrows down, narrows down that it may be more clear what the fulfillment of that covenant is going to be. And we're going to see that it's a fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, when the Lord came, how narrow the pool was of the people that could actually fulfill this covenant. And uh, we'll be looking at how God has uh, explained to us truly the meaning of, of the gospel uh, using the covenant that God has made with David as an example. So Lord willing, I didn't normally I have a very good time frame of how long a message is going to take. I'm not sure this morning. We could blaze through, and if we blaze through and we finish early, then we go home early. If we get to 12 o'clock, then we'll cut it off there. We'll pick up next time, Lord willing, so no no fear this morning. Everything will be all right. Um, So in in just introducing this uh, topic, again, of covenants, uh, last time we looked at a covenant needs a covenant initiator, a covenant recipient, promises. What were the promises given? We need to see those are the three main things every covenant will have. After that, we're going to look and see if there's terms and conditions for the covenant to be fulfilled. Uh, We're going to take a look at the setting. how was this covenant delivered and what setting was it given? Was there a mediator, meaning did somebody, did God speak directly to this individual or did somebody, uh, did God use somebody to speak through to the individual that they're making a covenant with? And we're going to take a look and see if there's a sign, a covenant sign given. Remember in the past, the Noahic covenant has the sign of uh, the rainbow, the Abrahamic the sign of circumcision, Uh, the law had the Sabbath, Uh, those are signs that God has given that it would be a remembrance um, before, and so we're going to be looking at the Davidic covenant, but before we get into the passage, we're just going to kind of touch base on what's going on in the life of David, and as we go through these passages, I'll be stopping to make application for us uh, this morning. So David, at this point, has uh, uh, right before chapter 7, has requested to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, or to Jerusalem. Uh, The kingdom capital had been moved and is now in Jerusalem, and David was there and the Ark was not, and so he was going to bring it back. And we remember that when he went to bring it back, uh, he didn't consult the Lord, he didn't look at how the proper way was to be carried, and he built a cart and carried it on a cart. And as the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reaches out to stop it from falling off, God strikes him dead. And really, it's a picture to us of the holiness of God. Uh, David had taken this mindset that everything had gone well. You know, he was God's anointed. Everything was progressing as it should be. We see before he consults the Lord on going to battle against the Philistines, and the Lord says, go, David, you know, I'm going to give them into your hand, basically. And so... Wait, right when everything is kind of at rest, maybe sometimes when we get a little bit laxed in our Christian walk, uh, sometimes we tend to forget the holiness of God. And God will always remind us of his holiness. And at this point, David's trying to do the good thing. David says, I'm, I'm going to be at rest. The Lord has given me all these things. And my desire is to fellowship with the Lord. And we know that a picture of that would be, you know, because the Lord would dwell uh, beneath the cherubim on the mercy seat. So he says, I'm going to bring the ark up. And when Uzzah is struck dead, the ark stops. He leaves it there at Obed-Edom, I believe. And he's upset. He's furious. And he cries out to God and he says, isn't this what you want? Don't you want us to be close? Don't you want us to have that fellowship? Don't you want us to be together? This, this is something I thought was, was the right thing to do. And God graciously says, "You know, in a way, it is the right thing to do, but it needs to be done properly. Uh, And it's a reminder to us, uh, a lesson to be learned. Uh, God has a desire to fellowship with us. God has a desire to use us. And everything that we desire to do for God is a good thing. But it has to be done according to his word. And that's why we we have this laid out. The minute that David uh, does it the proper way, everything is restored. So we see that happens just really before uh, this passage takes place in the scripture. Not necessarily that... You know, the next day, this is what happens, but this is how it's given in the scripture. So it's just a reminder to us, um, really, of of, of what's what's going on here. So David is now in a house of cedar, a big palace that he's had built, and we're going to go ahead and start reading just the first three verses in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. So we have another instance. David is here. He realizes that the Lord has given him rest. He's dwelling in his house. And he looks out and he sees the tent that the ark is dwelling in. And it comes to mind, how am I to dwell in a house like this when God's done all these things for me and my God is dwelling in a tent? And he has it in his heart to build a house for the Lord. He wants something grand. He wants something appropriate for the God that has done all these things for him. And we see it's a very... A noble thing. It's a very good thing. And I'm drawn back to my own life. When, when things are kind of at leisure, when things are relaxed, where does my heart go? David's heart went to do something grand for the Lord. David's heart went to fulfill something, to, to build something, to make, a, to make a statement to show how great God is. Uh, oftentimes at my leisure, that's, that's not where my mind goes. That's not where my heart is. And so it's just a gentle rebuke, a gentle reminder to us all this morning of uh, think of just the comforts that we have, the peace that we have, um, all that he's given us to, to live where we live. Um, where do our hearts go? Do we have a heart that tends to, to, to murmur, or to complain, or do we have a heart that tends to do something grand for God? Um, and we see Nathan hears it, and it all sounds great. This, this, is, this is good. You know, hey. Go and do it, you know, and the Lord be with you. Um, and sometimes we have that tendency, uh, you know, can't see anything wrong with it scripturally. Uh, it sounds like a, a great thing to do for the Lord, you know, yes, go ahead and, and do it. And we see that it's almost starting a pattern where when things are at peace, when everything's kind of quiet on the front, um, they, they don't consult the Lord as often. They're not going back to Him and asking. Uh, we see when there's, when there's wars to be fought, when there's danger all around, uh, that everyone's there asking of the Lord Uh, but the minute God gives rest then all of a sudden uh, the asking kind of stops the communion kind of stops so we have here Nathan speaks out go do all that is in your heart we're going to pick up reading I guess in verse four but it happened that night that the Lord of the Lord came to Nathan saying go and tell my servant David thus says the Lord would you build a house for me to dwell in For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Uh, interesting, I've, I've, when I was looking over this word ruler, a lot of times they, in the books that I read, they tell me it could be interpreted as a, as a prince, not necessarily as a king, but as a prince which makes actually a lot more sense um, in the light of things. So to be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son." If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So Nathan comes. Uh, we, we find it, it's interesting that That night the Lord speaks to Nathan. Uh, It wasn't something that could wait because David was the man that probably had in his heart he would have probably started that very next day getting everything ready to go. But we see that uh, as God speaks to Nathan, he doesn't come back and rebuke David for this attitude. He doesn't say, you know, um, kind of how dare you in any way. But he does correct David. And what's hard for David to see at this time is that God has a plan in the history of men, and he's going to develop this plan. And David is going to be a type, and what he doesn't know is that Solomon is actually going to be a type of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is Nathan comes and basically tells David, you won't be building a house for the Lord. Your son is going to build a house for the Lord. And we're going to give the honor to him, and that's how it's going to go. But let me tell you what I'm going to do for you, David. I'm going to make you a house or a dynasty. I'm going to make you a dynasty. And I will promise, basically, that your seed will sit on the throne and his will be an everlasting kingdom. The other thing that we see this morning, we sung Amazing Grace, uh, and and really what the Davidic covenant emphasizes most is the mercy of God. Uh, So we, we heard the grace of God, the giving of something we did not deserve, Um, The mercy of God is, is withholding a punishment that we do deserve. And the Davidic covenant is going to be a very, very clear picture of the mercy of God. And that's what we're going to be going through to see throughout the scripture as we continue this morning. So we have here in verse 15, let's see. It says, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established forever." <clears throat> it's interesting to, to keep in mind the word that's uh, used here as far as the promise given. Uh, he says David to David that his seed will sit on the throne. Uh, we're going to see later on with Solomon, uh, the throne is promised to Solomon, but it's not promised that his seed will sit on the throne. So we're going to trace that through the scriptures and how that all works out later on. But to David, it's promised his seed. And the interesting thing is, my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. And we think of Saul, when Saul was disobedient, when Saul went away from following the Lord, David was anointed, and David was given the kingdom. And Saul's dynasty stopped at him. It didn't even get to Jonathan, his son, even though Jonathan was a a servant of God. He was one that followed the Lord. So the interesting thing is is God's making a point here. Uh, I've dealt with Saul according to what is proper, according to what is righteous, according to what is just. That when he was disobedient, I took the kingdom from him. And now I'm giving it to you, David. But what he's telling David is, but I will not take it from you like I took it from Saul. So let's think of that promise of mercy, mercy that will not depart. We have a promise like that. The mercy, God's mercy will never depart from us. Um, God has judged His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and because of His punishment, we have been shown mercy. The sins that we have have been paid for, abundantly paid for. So what attitude does that give us now? The Lord says, The throne will never depart from you, David. This I'm going to establish, and I will never pull my mercy from thee. How's David going to react? What's his next step? Does he just say, well, then, you know, all is well, and I can kind of do whatever I want. I have a promise from the Lord, and, uh, you know, he's been running things, but now I guess that I've got this promise, I'll take over from here. Is that sometimes our attitude? Uh, Do we consult the Lord? When we think of the mercy of God, what does it drive us to? Does it drive us to feel freedom to sin? Or does it drive us to worship him and to praise him? Uh, Just a thing to to check with our hearts this morning and find out uh, what's the the truth in our hearts. Uh, Go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to look and see how sure this mercy is. Uh, When our brother said uh, this morning, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, I got a little nervous that he was going to be um, giving my message this morning, but uh, it worked out that he's read portions of the passage that I'm not going to, so. We have here in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, we know uh, the story, um, David and Bathsheba, at a time when men were to go to war, when the kings were to go to war, David stayed home. Uh, that's how the, the chapter the, the chapter before begins. And we see that David sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, and he goes and, and he calls unto her, and they lie together, and she conceives. And he's committing adultery at the time. Well, she conceives, and he panics, and he says, okay, well, how am I going to hide this? How am I going to cover this up? Okay, I'm going to call Uriah back. And Uriah comes back, and he's, uh, so noble that he doesn't go and lie with his wife. He sits outside of David's door. He, he feels ashamed to be called back from the battle. And while his the men are out there fighting, that he would go and be comforted. Uh, so David has to develop another plan. Uh, the deceit wasn't going to work, so I, I guess we're, we're going to have to kill Uriah. Uh, and we know Uriah to be one of David's mighty men. This is not just any person. This is not just any soldier. This is one of David's finest soldiers. So we see that David... Sends word to Joab, make sure rise at the front of the battle. Make sure, basically, he doesn't come back. And we see that that takes place. And David now, instead of just being guilty of adultery, is now guilty of murder. We know the punishment, according to the law, is death for both. Um, he would have been killed for his adultery, along with Bathsheba. And uh, if they didn't catch him on that, and they found out, well, he had Uriah murdered, they found that letter, he'd be guilty of murder, and he'd be uh, punished for that. So, why wasn't he punished? Why wasn't he taken out and stoned? Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, Nathan comes and gives a prophecy, basically, to David, and uh, David has it in his heart, you know, let's, let's kill this man, let's, let's, uh, let's you know, do what the, the word of the Lord says, basically. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. We see here that as Nathan speaks to David, he lays everything out. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Nothing. And we see that David had a a great promise that mercy would never depart from him. We will never be judged for sin. We will never be condemned for sin. That condemnation was placed on the Lord Jesus Christ and we are free. We are free people. Free from sin. Free from hell. Free from judgment. But there is consequences for the sin that we commit. We cannot choose our consequences. We see here that David is guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And we see that the The punishment is withheld. You shall not die. But there is a consequence. We know that uh, David's family is not the the most uh, uh, picturesque group. Uh, We know that four of his sons will die prematurely. Um, Some will try to usurp the throne from him. Uh, It's just a, he had a hard family life. Um, And then from this point on, uh, there's battles. There's times when he's kind of kicked out of his own kingdom. And things don't go as well as we'd, we'd hope. Looking at the promise that God gave in chapter 7, you would think, well, how does this take place? And see, I think what happens really is we, we, we don't look at the holiness of God. We don't look at the truth of who God is and say, how should we be conducting ourselves? And really what the Lord was most upset about was I've given you everything. And if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. And yet you've given the, the enemies of God opportunity to blaspheme my name. I would have I I given you whatever you wanted. And what, what, what promises that we have? He promises that if we ask anything in his name, it shall be given to us. Um, the grace that we have to be able to to come into his presence, to worship him freely, to not have to have a priest, to not have to go through these sacrifices and rituals, to be able to minister to the heart of God as priest before him? Do we give opportunity for the people that are enemies of God to blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ because of us, because of our sin? Uh, We have to recognize this morning that though we have great promises from God, we have a great responsibility and a great opportunity. And it's a reminder to us that knowing the scriptures, knowing what we should do, are we obedient? Are we willing even to be obedient? And to remember, though it has no defect punishment to us, there is grave consequences. I try to think of things along the way of of, of my wife and I. Uh, I love my wife. And if she wants me to do something, if she wants me to be willing, and I'm not, and I go against her wishes, and I do other things, and I give opportunity for people to speak bad about my wife, that would break my heart. That would, that would just kill me. And yet, the Lord should even be greater than that. We should have a desire. Think of all that he's given for us, all that he's done for us. And yet, how do we treat the responsibility that we have? How do we, how do we, how do we go about uh, living in light of these promises? Uh, do we just say, you know, thank you for the promise, and now I'm, I'm off to the races here, uh, going my own way? Uh, so this is just a grave, grave reminder that though the mercy will not depart from David, and though uh, his punishment was death, we know that his punishment was put away, but that there was consequences. And we're going to look at how David reacts Uh, to these consequences. Um, So it says, The Lord uh, struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, so the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him, that the child was dead for they said indeed while the child was alive we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice how can we tell him that the child is dead he may do some harm when David saw that his servants were whispering David perceived that the child was dead therefore David said to his servants is the child dead and they said he is dead so David arose from the ground, washed, and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food? And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me? that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Uh, Just by way of anecdote, uh, that last verse gives my wife and I comfort. Uh, This is where we get the promise, basically, that uh, when a child dies before the age of accountability, uh, they are in the presence of the Lord. Uh, We see here that David knows the child will not be brought back, but that David will go to the child. So it's a a means of of thanksgiving uh, for that verse. Uh, What we have here is really the the consequence. The consequence for David's sin was that the child would die. The child did not do anything. The child was guilty of nothing. But yet David's sin affected the child. And so when we speak of sin, when we speak of uh, how we go about living our lives in the light of the promises that God has given, uh, we also realize that our sin does not only affect us, It's not a, we're not a, we're not an island, uh, we're a body. Uh, Every sin that people commit in the body affects another part of the body. And we have to be aware of that. We have to be concerned about that. Um, We see that the other, uh, the child was not guilty of anything, like I said, but the the child is uh, the consequence. We have also here uh, David going in before the Lord and uh, praying and fasting. Uh, The Lord had given word that the child would die, Um, but David praying that the Lord would be gracious, uh, goes in and decides to uh, pray before the Lord and fast. We see that the child does die, and David rises up and washes himself and goes into the house of the Lord and worships the Lord. Um, oftentimes, it seems like the attitude of the saints is we, we, we do a wrong, we commit a sin, we're being judged for it, and we pray, you know, Lord, remove this, uh, this consequence, remove this from us, and uh, when it doesn't happen, we're upset. <laughs> And we get a little angry, and we think, well, you know, the Lord should have just, you know, let me do it. Just, you know, kind of giving me a break here. Um, But we have to always realize that the Lord is worthy of worship, no matter what the circumstances. Uh, These are grave circumstances. I couldn't imagine this. I remember bringing uh, my son home, and the first week, getting through the first week, and, uh, and... Everything was good. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, we, we made it a week. Like, you know, we, we did it. And uh, realizing, wow, that was only one week. We've got, we got a long road ahead. But I cannot imagine spending that first week uh, in this state that David did with the baby being ill and just praying before the Lord and praying before the Lord, knowing that the word of the Lord said that the baby would die and just praying against it, praying against it, praying against it. So we see that the Lord was, was merciful to David Uh, But at this point in time, the Lord was not gracious to David. He did not give the life of the son. So it's another thing to remember that once a consequence comes, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. We committed the sin. God didn't do anything. God was willing to bless, to abundantly pardon. And we went and sinned before him, and then we get upset when a consequence comes. Uh, Just a reminder here that, um, you know, we need to take responsibility Uh, For our our sins and to come and confess them before the Lord and to remember that no matter the consequence that the Lord is worthy of worship. Um, So with that, we see that the mercy that God had promised David in the Davidic covenant would not be stopped by adultery. It would not be stopped by murder. And we're going to go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11. What we have here is David's son Solomon. David's son Solomon has risen up. He has built the house of the Lord. Um, the Lord had given him peace and prosperity. Uh, he was reigning uh, in a miraculous way. And as he continued to reign, he continued to take more wives and more wives and more wives and was taken into uh, idolatry uh, at times. And so... We have here, uh, we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 30, basically. Um, At this point in time, the prophecy is going to be made that uh, the kingdom is going to be, in a way, taken from Solomon, not the throne, but parts of the the tribes are going to be taken away because of his uh, disobedience. So we have here verse 30, then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, "'Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians.' the God of the Moabites, Milcom, the God of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give you give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there so I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel then it shall be if you heed all that I command you walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did then I will be with you, and build you, for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon." So, because of Solomon's disobedience, we have basically the Lord coming to Jeroboam and saying, I'm going to take 10 tribes out of the kingdom, and I'm going to give them to you, Jeroboam. And if you notice, the promise that God makes Jeroboam is similar to the promise that he makes with David. What's, what's the big difference between the, the promises that God makes with David and the promises that God makes with Jeroboam? He's going to build him a house. He's going to give him a throne he's going to give him a dynasty he's going to do all these things give him whatever his heart desires to rule over if if he keeps the commandments if he walks in the way of the lord that's a big if uh, jeroboam's family and dynasty was i believe just over 20 years um, and it was done the promises were nil didn't didn't come to to pass So what we have here is we see that so much in this passage you would think it was about David as often as David is mentioned. Um, We have here the mercy that will not depart because God made a promise to David that it would not. And so Solomon had peace, had comfort, had wealth beyond measure, Um, you know, all the wives he'd ever want. All these things were at his hand. And he felt possibly like, you know, the Lord has blessed me and cannot, I cannot do any wrong, in a sense. And we see that God continually comes to Solomon and desires him to repent. And that's really the major difference between David and Solomon. David was a man that did many wrongs, but was a man of repentance, turned away from the evil that he was doing and turned back to the ways of the Lord and, and did things properly. Uh, Solomon was a man that was marked by uh, an unrepentant heart. Uh, he did not repent. Uh, he continued to go the way that he was going. And we see here that discipline is heavy. Uh, it's not that the Lord splits the kingdoms and says, okay, you get six and you get six. It's, I'll leave one for the sake of my servant, David, and I'll let you stay in Jerusalem. So what we have here is just, a, 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 though the promises were given, and the promises are sure, there's still consequences for disobedience. And it, it, it's a reminder to us, uh, the consequences. Um, so go ahead and turn to, let's see. <clears throat> we see adultery couldn't stop, but idolatry, uh, murder could not stop these promises. And what we're going to do here in just a little brief time that we have is I'm going to run through a number of passages. And we're going to see how this promise that God made to David, that he would have a seed that would sit upon the throne and that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom and that the mercy would never depart. Okay, so like the promise that God gave to Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Okay, well, Abraham's seed is a great number as it continues out. Uh, David, we see, is going to have many sons, and their sons are going to have many sons. And so how are we going to know who the one is that, is that this promise applies to when he comes? How are we going to know? So you don't have to flip with me, Um, We're we're not going to be really going through expositorially. We're just going to be looking at these passages and moving on to the next. Uh, The first one's in Isaiah chapter 7. Chapter 7, it says in verse 13, Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. So we see that this uh, house of David, that it's going to be a virgin-born son. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from the time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the wean child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So what we have here in this passage, we saw earlier of all the things that would be established in this passage, it's interesting, in verse 1, it talks about a branch that shall grow out of his roots, and later in verse uh, 10, it says, there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner for the people. Uh, And his kingdom will not only affect people, but it will affect the whole earth. Uh, These animals will be lying down together with each other. Um, So, again, kind of just God is revealing more and more uh, the truth of of what's going to happen. Uh, Jeremiah 23, verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. That I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah said, can you? Um, Interesting, in the chapter before this, there's a prophecy given. So I stated earlier that there was a promise given to David that his seed would sit on the throne. And the promise was, again, reiterated to Solomon that the throne would not depart from him, but not that his seed would sit there. In the previous chapter, Jeremiah 22, talking about uh, a ruler, uh, Jeconiah, uh, the son of Jehoiakim, uh, referred to in this passage as Kaniah. So it says here, is this man Kaniah a despised broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure, Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. we got a little bit of a problem here, so it seems. God has given a promise to David that his seed will sit on the throne. Well, God is just... Said that of this seed, Jeconiah, that his seed will never sit on the throne, his seed. So how does that work out? So we have what we have here is a is a, is a virgin born Messiah, a virgin born King. Uh, it's going to be of the seed of David. It's going to sit on Solomon's throne, but it's not going to be a seed of Solomon. So all of a sudden this, this pool is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Who, who is actually going to fulfill these things? So keep that in mind. Uh, Hosea chapter three. Ezekiel Daniel, Hosea. I tell you, Owanas, man. Hosea chapter three, verse four. <clears throat> for the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So it's stating that there's going to be a period where there is not going to be uh, a king sitting on the throne. There's going to be this time where uh, this doesn't happen. They're going to be judged for it. And, uh, you know, so, but then they would return. Uh, next is going to be in Amos. Amos chapter nine. We're going to speed up here, so I can keep my promise. Nine. Yeah, I know. Ha ha. <clears throat> verse eleven. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Uh, that verse tabernacle is a figure of the dynasty. Uh, He'll raise up uh, the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring... Back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord. And one more passage in Micah. We have Amos, Jonah, Micah. 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, Ephrathah, uh, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. So this pool gets smaller and smaller and smaller. If you notice, when you get to the Gospels, you'll be reading the, the beginning of Matthew, and you're going to see a genealogy. And in that genealogy, you're going to see how the Lord Jesus Christ has a right to the throne because of his earthly father, Joseph. But Joseph's not his father. But that's how he has a right to the throne. And you notice in the Gospel of Matthew, all of these people crying out to him, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. All the the priests and the Levites and the Pharisees would have had to do were to to prove that uh, he didn't have any right to it that he didn't have any right to the throne of David. Just go back to his genealogy and say, look, this man doesn't have any rights to the throne, and the Messiah was going to sit on the throne of David. So we're, we're good here. They couldn't deny it. He had the right to sit on the throne of David. If you go to Luke, you're going to see a genealogy, and you think, well, you know, what's the point of having this genealogy in Luke all the way back to Adam? But you're going to see in that genealogy that the seed of David passes through Nathan, and not Solomon. Nathan was another son of of David's but did not sit on the throne. So it fulfills the promise that it was a seed of David and that the throne of Solomon, the rights to it would not depart from him. You also see the importance of the virgin birth. Uh, If the Lord was not virgin born, uh, he wouldn't have any rights to any of these prophecies. Um, We cannot sell the truth for anything. And when I say truth, I not only mean the prophecies, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the lifestyle that we're supposed to be living. We can't sell it for anything. It says to buy the truth and sell it not. And that's the, 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 what I want to leave you with as we uh, depart from here. Buy the truth and sell it not. There's so much in the scriptures that just bring things to a focus, and, and it's undeniable. The interesting thing about these genealogies is they're the only genealogies that exist when Titus Vespasian came in in A.D. 70 and destroyed Jerusalem, he destroyed all the records. There is no Jewish-born person that could lay claim to the throne of David. It would be impossible. So you, you have all of these prophecies given that, that when the Messiah came, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, it should have been just a blaring, flashing sign. The Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. And yet the people went about in their, their, own, their own way. Um, do we have that when we're walking in the world? We think of how dark the world is getting and yet God has said, I will give you my Holy Spirit. I will dwell with you. My son will dwell with you and you will have access to the power of the creator of the universe. When we walk in this dark world, are we a flashing light for the truth of God that we have been saved, that we've been given everlasting life or do people look at us and just continue on in the way that they're going? Uh, just a, a comfort, uh, seeing that God will fulfill his promises. Um, the interesting thing, there's no dispute in Christendom, as far as I know, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the uh, Messiah, is, is, is the son of David that has the right to sit on the throne. As far as I know, there's no disputing that, that topic. Uh, what there is a dispute over is how he will reign and in what form and fashion. Uh, We believe that the Lord will return and will set up a kingdom and reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem um, because that's what the scripture teaches that the lion will lie down with the lamb, that all these things will take place, that there will be an abundant blessing. Um, We believe that that will physically happen, and we believe that will physically happen because all the other prophecies up to this point have physically happened. He was born of a virgin, Uh, his hands really were pierced with real nails. Um, you know, his, his clothes uh, were divided up, and they really did cast lots for them. All these things were given in prophetic terms, came true literally. Um, so we take it that uh, the kingdom will come and manifest itself in a literal kingdom. The man of the tribe, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God who had been slain, will sit upon a throne in Jerusalem. With the promises in mind that we've been given, are we giving people an opportunity to blaspheme the name of the one that sits on the throne? Uh, that's that's kind of how uh, we see the promises and we say, oh, that's great, um, but what are we going to take away from it? Uh, what's going to be our motivation to get through this next week? Uh, what are we going to put our focus on? Uh, I suggest you look to the Lamb. Um, I was going to go through Isaiah 55 and talk about the sure mercies of David, but I will save that as an introduction to the new covenant uh, next time I speak. Uh, so we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee uh, for the promises that You've given, uh, that You are a God that keeps His promises. Um, Father, we're so thankful for Your Son. And we see in all the ways He fulfilled all these prophecies that were coming. And Father, we know based on that that He's coming again and that He will take us up to be with Him for all eternity. But Father, we also know that we've been given instruction, we've been given an opportunity to live for Him and to be a light in this world. Um, Father, we pray that we would take those things seriously. Uh, We're thankful for the promises we have, knowing that we will never uh, suffer condemnation. We will never suffer that judgment for sin uh, that was due us. But, Father, we pray that our hearts would be stirred in love to serve thee all the days of our life. Uh, We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.